This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning. It's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.7 3RRR. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. And we are the program about all things wet and salty, everything to do with the seas, the oceans, the coasts and the estuaries. And pretty much everything else in the world. My name is Bron Burton. And I'm Kate Mills. How are you, Kate? Fantastic, Bron. I have to say before we get started, well done on Friday for oh. International Women's Day. I just got out of the water. I'd been surfing at Bells all morning. And at 12 o'clock, I got out, jumped in the car, and there was your voice and Dr. Jen and Vanessa greeting me. And it was an awesome hour of STEM, you, basically. You didn't have a little panic and think... Hang on, what's happening? Actually, yeah, it's where not. am I? I've, yeah, I've ditched <laughs> marinara and gone surfing instead. No. Oh. no. It was a great hour. It was fantastic. You guys probably could have kept on going for quite a few more hours by the sounds of we it. We packed a lot into that hour and uh, we were talking about it afterwards um, and we kind of joked on air, but it was real. We could have gone for another hour easily um, and then some. But it was a fantastic day. The whole day was just magnificent. It was, yeah. It was I was wonderful st- listening. I got stuck in traffic coming back to Melbourne, but I didn't mind so much because I had Triple R getting yeah. entertained and all the amazing <laughs> People. It was great. Excellent. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was well worth listening to. It was great. Fun People book. can go back to Radio On Demand and listen to it themselves. Yeah, I'm going to go back and listen to... Um, I caught bits and pieces throughout the whole day, but there are um, particular shows that I missed. Uh, just, you know, life gets in the way, so I'm going to go back on demand and listen to them as well. Yeah, I've got quite a backlog of stuff with the app on. You can now log them up. And, yeah, I've got quite a few hours of Radio On Demand listening to go back through. It keeps on growing. It's great. Nice plug there. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It is a very, very good app. Thank you, Tim, very much for Vital Bits. Yeah. Once again. Kept me entertained on my drive-in this morning. You can catch Tim again next Saturday morning, 6am, for another instalment of Vital Bits. He's a... I actually heard, was it Phoebe Square took offence to the word stalwart, stalwart the other day. So I was going to use that about Tim, but I couldn't think of anything else <laughs> to replace it. Yeah. How can you be happy about a word that contains the word wart in it? I'm with, I'm with Phoebe there. Maybe that's it. Hey, um, let's go through today's program. If, a happy long weekend. If you're long weekending, uh, if you're out at Golden Plains, um, we hate you. No, we don't. I uh, hope you're having a great time out there. <laughs> We're thinking of you. Yeah. We're all slightly jealous. And you've been camping this weekend, Kate. You've actually come up from camping. I still am camping you up are. on the Goulburn River at Murchison there. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you're heading back up there? Yeah, as soon you've as come- this is done. I'm actually catching up with a friend who's come over from Western Australia, so he doesn't get over this way to civilization all that often. So wow. I'll catch up with him while I'm here as well and it- then back up the river. Awesome. Today's program, uh, shortly we're going to be joined in studio by Fom Sharko for her latest edition of Plastic Literacy. We're going to be looking at uh, some shocking new revelations about plastic in the deepest parts of the world oceans. I have a feeling I know what she's going to be talking yeah, about. So this came out um, the last week or so, so uh, yeah. Uh, we're also going to catch up with Sean Doherty about Fight for the Bite. This is the campaign which is growing. It's been a huge week since we last caught up with Sean and some growing awareness nationwide paddle out protests last weekend. Some of the images that came through from there were just mind-boggling. Yeah, the talkie one was amazing. Huge. Yeah, yep. so many people. It's great to see so many people get together for that. So many surfboards too. That's right. There's a big one being planned for next Sunday, so we'll talk a little bit about that one as well. That one's in Melbourne, uh, heading off from St Kilda. So uh, they won't have to worry too much about the surf being too big, will they? No, or um, or needing to for for uh, we Melbourne folk not needing to drive too far either. I'm predicting that one's going to be massive. Uh, Then uh, Nicole Mertens is coming in. 
Yeah, well, hopefully people can have a look for sea slugs while they're also out um, on their boards protesting. Excellent. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what she'll be talking about, the sea slug census, which will be going on next weekend as well. Great. And then, special oh, guest of yours? We do. We have Alady. Campras? Yeah, I'm going to get her name wrong. She's um, from France and my wife says I have a very thick tongue when it comes to <laughs> use, pronouncing anything that's not Australian. Uh, but she organises the Day by the Bay Festival, one of the organisers of the Day by the Bay Festival. So they've had one in Mornington already and we have one coming up at Point Cook. And quite interested to hear about the Point Cook one. Point Cook is one of those places that I hadn't been to until recently. And if the festival is where I think it is, it's absolutely spectacular and Beautiful beach down there, beautiful views of the city, nice, well, can be clear, sort of calm waters, great place to swim, and nobody goes there. Mm. Nobody. You've got this massive sort of development there. You just keep driving through it and you get to the middle of nowhere and it's absolutely gorgeous. All the point cooking, so we'll be going, shh, what are you doing? Don't tell yeah. people. I oh, know, actually, I apologise to them. <laughs> uh, so that's our show and it's going to be packed as it has been since the start of this year, so we're going to keep on moving. Quick weather report, uh, and this will be uh, quite significant for many people out there today on this long weekend planning and activity. 25 degrees, mostly uh, sunny, partly cloudy, early fog patches and then a slight chance of a light shower in the early afternoon. Light winds becoming west to southwesterly, 15 to 25 kilometres an hour in the middle of the day. And tomorrow, 24 and partly cloudy. So a very nice, mild, long weekend weather here. Uh, Tuesday, when we all head back to work, 18 and a few showers. Wednesday, 19, partly cloudy. Thursday, 26 and sunny. Friday, 19 and cloudy. Saturday, 22 is the rough forecast. So uh, not busting over 30 at all this week. Maybe, maybe that's the end of the hot weather. Yeah, the autumn's on the way, which is my favourite time of the year. Yeah. Well, it's officially here. Yeah, but the weather, the, the autumn weather. weather is on the way. Bit yes. of a lag. Yeah. Uh, and the tide forecast, uh, if you're wanting to head out and do something that is uh, dependent on the tide, heading at the Point Lonsdale, low tide at 9.29 and then a high tide at 3.46 this afternoon. We've got time for a couple of quick little newsy bits. you got one there? So I've just got a quick one and you know, we've been talking to Dave Donnelly from Antarctica and I noticed the ABC actually did a story on the research um, expedition that he was on so any Radio Marinara listeners that were listening in we actually got the scoop on that one yeah because basically the article went through everything that Dave was sort of chatting to us about but just following up with the work on blue whales um, and there was an article in the ABC just recently and there was a record number of blue whales were spotted in the bite this summer which actually ties in well with our next uh, with our chat with Sean mm. but the data is coming from tuna spotters so uh-huh. they're Basically Picking out there. Well, they're out there. Yeah, so they're out there basically looking for tuna. That's as the name sort of says it all, really, doesn't it? And while they're out there, they're basically um, collecting information on whale sightings while they're there. And so Peter Gill, who's a researcher, a blue whale researcher, who I imagine has been on the show at some stage, if not many times, was saying that, yeah, they're actually sending back data of their sightings and providing a lot more information than he can get because they're out there so often and they have the ca- that capability. So it's an interesting one to have sort of industry helping out with some of this scientific information on our blue whales. Mm. An interesting time. It is. Good to see. 
Yep. And now over to you, Brian. <laughs> I've got a couple of quick ones. Uh, one is uh, something that you might have seen during the week. It came out from Deakin University and it's a new study that they've done in partnership with the University of Melbourne, putting the spotlight on the health of Port Phillip Bay. And you might have seen this. It's the, the rise of the urchins and some uh, recent research which has come out from Paul Carnell about uh, what this means for Port Phillip Bay and particularly the various um, assemblages is the word that we use that depend on algae uh, for effectively their their coverage. Yeah, and it, it even made it onto Channel 9 News. There was a quite a long sort of story on that, which was good to see. Yeah. It's basically, yeah, reminding Melbourne that they have a bay there and we need to start looking after it a bit. That's right. So this was a study published in the journal Estuaries and Coasts and documenting for the first time the loss of kelp forests in Port Phillip Bay over the past 60 years using historical information and aerial photographs and some concern about uh, 90% of kelp forests around Williamstown, Point Cook and by Morris, which have been wiped out. And as the kelp gets wiped out, the urchins move in and feed on the new little kelp which are trying to get themselves established amongst Yeah, they don't things. stand a chance once the urchins are in there. Pretty voracious predators. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of stuff to this study which we will pick up on. Uh, Dr Beach is back in the house next week, I believe. Uh, yes, he is. So we might uh, catch up with him about this one as and well. And I have actually spoken to Paul about coming in sometime in the middle of the year once he gets some more results because there's some citizen science work going on with Parks Victoria and they're getting plots and clearing urchins out of plots and maintaining densities in some of these plots to see if they can get the kelp to come back. So cool. I spoke to him uh, probably a month or so ago and he said around mid-year they should have some interesting data to come and join us on the show and give us a sort of rundown. Excellent. Well, let's line that one up. Will do. One is the last thing I wanted to mention was just a quick plug because I might not get to it before the end of the program. Um, a couple of weeks ago we had in Mark Schaller and Mick Turner talking about their new and now current uh, exhibition called Current Rips, which is on at Bright Space in St Kilda. I went along and checked it out. It's absolutely stunning. And it is open until uh, the 16th of March. So you've got a few days left to do that. If you want to go along um, this long weekend, would be a good time to do that. And I can't um, speak highly enough. Of Were there many images there? Like how many paintings are we talking about? Oh, in okay. There? Yeah, uh, we have a total. So um, 76. No, yeah, 76. So are you a and Mark or a Mick person, Brian, <laughs> when it comes to enjoying the artwork? I love them both. I'm drawn to <laughs> Mick Turner's artwork, I think because of probably my subconscious association with Dirty Three, um, amongst others, uh, other other groups that he's played in. Uh, but it's it's all of it as a as a combined exhibition. It's just beautiful. And it's a combination of artwork as in paintings on the wall, but some little sculptures as well. Um, there's a little series of penguins um, that he's done, which are sort of like, um, you know, uh, tourist type um, things that you might get in a tourist shop down at Phillip Island. And they're all slightly different. They're like little dioramas. They're super cute. Fantastic. Yeah. Did you see any of the sticks and leaves and sand and all that sort of stuff attached to oh, their paintings that they were talking they, they about? Talked Did you about have a look? That. I didn't yeah. look closely enough. Yeah. I was just mesmerised by just, how, you know, the, the entire kind of collection put together. So it's stunning. Uh, uh, um, so Bright Space in St Kilda, you might want to go to their website and check their opening hours, just check when they're open. But uh, definitely worth going down and having a look. I don't know how much of it's left to sell. There were quite a few red dots when I was there. But, uh, yeah, definitely worth going down and, and having a look before it all disappears. And it's open during the day? Yes. Yes, great. Yeah.
Hey, welcome back. Thank you. That's the best segue ever, that song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to have to keep them coming. (laughs) I think we might have to um, make that a little intro to your segment when you're coming from. Yeah, that's right. Plastic Literacy with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, the second of your segments for 2019, focusing on plastic um, and plastic in the oceans in particular. And uh, this time looking at um, the the real issue of plastics now being discovered in the deepest parts of the ocean, I think it's something we've always associated with being a surface issue or at least a relatively surface issue. Uh, But they've now been discovered in the Mariana Trench amongst other places. Maybe we might start by looking back at microplastics and, and what the real problem with microplastics is yeah good idea so a microplastic according to the scientific definition now that's been accepted by scientists around the globe is a piece of plastic of unidentifiable origin usually that is smaller than five millimeters in diameter so that's about the size of my well depends on how big your fingers are but the size of my sort of like your your pinky finger nail yeah um so anything that is smaller than that but bigger than a micrometer so between a micrometer and and the five millimeters is a microplastic. Anything smaller than that becomes a nanoplastic, and uh, yeah, that might be a topic for another show. Yeah. So anything <laughs> smaller than a micrometer is a nanoplastic. Yes. Wow. Because micrometers. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. And that comes with its own set of challenges. Um, mm. But microplastics are sort of like in, in that range, and okay. they usually come from broken up pieces of larger plastic items, right? So, for for example, if you chuck a plastic bottle in the ocean, please don't try this at home. Just an example. <laughs> if you chuck a plastic bottle in the ocean, it tends to you know be smacked around the rocks by the waves. There's a lot of UV that will break up those plastics and you know start working on the chemical bonds to break down, and so. Eventually, it turns into this just, you know, pile of microplastics, basically. And they're quite, um, they're very ubiquitous, obviously, uh, because plastic's been in the ocean for a long time. And what's problematic with this is that the smaller the microplastic, the more species of animals can potentially ingest it, right? And so what happens is that microplastics are in the ocean. because they are an oil-based product, they also tend to absorb or attach to them molecules that are already floating around the oceans, things like fertilizers, pesticides, heavy metals, all that crap that we don't really want to you mm. have in our bodies, um, tend to absorb to that microplastic because they are also hydrophobic. You know, they don't like to be in the water. They'd rather be soluble in oil, so they kind of match up. Um, and so these, you've got these tiny little bombs of toxins floating around. Along comes a little fish or a small crustacean, depending on how big that microplastic is, thinking that it's a piece of food, eats it up, and obviously because those animals are also mostly consistent of fat, those toxins you know, let go of that microplastic. So even if they and poop it out, the yeah, yep. they're just absorbing the animal. And so what happens is that obviously a larger predator comes along, and starts eating all of those little krill or whatever it is that's on the bottom of the food chain that has been ingesting that plastic and having those toxins in its body. And through bioaccumulation and biomagnification, the higher you get onto the food chain, the more of those toxins are collecting in those animals, right? So a little fish eats, eats maybe 10 of those smaller fish, so it gets 10 times the amount of toxins in its body. And then a larger predator comes along and eat 10 of those fish. So that predator then has 100 times those toxins in its body. And you can imagine who the big predators are, really, Mm. that eat the most fish. 
That's us. Yes. Right. So that is the uh, the danger of having microplastics in the ocean. So it's not just the mechanical problems that they can cause gut obstruction and, and um, you know, mechanical problems like fishing line killing sea lions and things like that. It actually goes much deeper than that. And if we're not careful, all that stuff's going to come back to us. I guess part of that, because they are so small, they don't have a trouble. They won't have any trouble ending up everywhere. Exactly. Like, I was going to say the sky's the limit, but we're talking about ocean plastic. Well, in this, yeah, in this case, the Mariana Trench seems to be the limit. Um, some uh, research came out recently, about two weeks ago, from a university in the UK. Uh, a, a guy called uh, Alan Jameson did a lot of research by sending down the little super cool bubble machine thingies that collect stuff from the deep sea that I always wanted to drive <laughs> with a remote, but, you know, that might be a pipe dream for a bit. Um, and basically they they collected amphipods all the way from down the mariana trench there's a few other trenches they did as well so they basically went around the pacific rim uh, and they sampled six different trenches um, and the mariana trench is the deepest one how deep was my oh, question it's uh, so they sampled the hadal zone which that name i love because it's <laughs> derived from hades the underworld uh-huh. uh, so the hadal zone is six kilometers to 11 kilometers deep and that oh. is really the deepest part of the deep sea and the mariana trench is the deepest trench uh, and the deepest plastic they found was at 10,898 oh. meters and it was a plastic bag so it wasn't. Oh, it was wow. not a microplastic. It was a plastic bag, at Jeez. ten kilometers below. Nearly the sea. eleven kilometers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's the deepest piece of plastic they found. Um, but what they were really looking for, they were, they were just um, sampling amphipods, which are tiny little crustaceans that are scavengers. So they like living down there because when, for example, a whale dies, the whale will fall down, sink down to the bottom and the amphipods and all kinds of other crabs will come and just like, you know, eat that stuff straight away. Mm. So they depend on that food that's coming down from the top. Now, the Pacific garbage patch is also in that area. And that is where they think little microplastics sink down from. And also dead whales that may have a lot of plastic in their stomach, which we know happens. Mm. Do they have any idea how long it takes for the plastic to get down there? Because it's a hell of a long way to... Yeah, it's not. It's actually quite quick. So it is, if you, is it? I think it's something like thirteen miles per day or something oh, wow. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really it sinks quite quickly, and when you get to the bottom there, it it kind of you know it's like snow. So they call it marine snow. Uh, and these amphipods, they eat pretty much everything that they can get their little grubby fingers on, right? Mm. Because they are scavengers, uh, and that includes uh, microplastics as well. And it was kind of, uh, they were just sampling those those creatures and just looking in their guts, not necessarily looking for plastic in the first place, but they just saw a plastic fiber and they thought, hmm, that's interesting because it's purple. And they thought that is a really artificial looking thing. What is that? And they kind of ran it through a spectrometer and it turned out to be plastic. So that's when the alarm bells started ringing and they started doing more of those gut dissections in those amphipods. And about 72% of them had plastic fibers in their in one of their guts. 72% yeah. of the 72%, amphipods. 72%, which is actually very similar to what... Uh, these amphipods in coastal waters have in their guts as well. So there is not really much of a difference. So we can now say that the microplastics have made it down all the way down to 11,000 
uh, meters depth and are affecting the ecosystem there because obviously these amphipods are then food for other creatures as well. They're at the bottom of the food chain down there. So that's how, again, it, and it makes know, its way back up the food chain yeah, again. Yeah, so we've got a real cycling situation going on. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And they are, you know, krill and things like that that are then again food for whales and things like that, manta rays. Manta rays can also dive to, you know, about two kilometers depth to um, do some feeding there. So, yeah, it has it has large implications and it has never been proven before that microplastics actually are being are ingested in the Hadal zone. So that's six to 11 kilometers down, but it is now and it's, it's yeah. I had probably a bit of a sideways question, but you're saying 72% are found with plastic. I'm curious about the 28%. Are they more discretionary feeders or is it just... Well, they haven't sampled. managed to come across it yet. Yeah, that's, I'm just curious because you're saying it's the same in coastal waters as well. Sorry, it's a bit of a tricky question. Yeah, but. I'm not exactly sure. Um, they, they sampled different species. So I think they did something like three different species of amphipods. So it could be that They're some of them... Feeding. Yeah, they have different feeding habits. They might be feeding in a different way or on different parts of the prey. Uh, some of them might be filtering, you know, uh, some of that snow that is coming down. Others might go for the more solid things and, and, and chomp on that when it falls to the bottom. Um, yeah, I'm not sure yet. Where to from here, Fom? Well, you uh, know, This is the beginning of a whole new... Uh, genre of marine research really isn't it well uh, yeah it's I mean it has been going on for a while now but I think the most well I shouldn't really call it exciting it's like exciting in the wrong way uh, the, the most exciting thing to me is looking at the research and seeing how it is now starting to change and research more about what plastic in the ecosystem does to people's health mm. because we already know that pcbs and plastic derivatives are really severely impacting the reproduction rates of large ocean predators especially mammals um, especially in europe where there are whole pods of orcas that are going to go extinct basically because they have so many plastic derivatives messing with their hormonal system that they actually are infertile now and that has major consequences and those marine mammals are not that different from us mm. so i'm very um excited about seeing research come out about the effect that our behavior in the oceans is what kind of effect that is going to have on our food chain and the way that we um, fish and eat fish and uh, yeah get those toxins back basically I mean it's scary but it is quite exciting because as soon as something is starting to really implicate human health that's when larger scale actions will start happening. That's right. And as much as we like to think that it's, uh, you know, we're just one animal on this planet, the reality is research dollars tend to get attracted to issues that affect us. Exactly. And it's not a sexy subject. You know, at the mm. moment, politics, they don't want to touch it. Nobody wants to touch it. But the research is going to happen no matter what. And it is really gearing towards that now. And we're getting closer to really handling that. So that's very exciting. That's right. And things that tend to happen at a global level just bring on bureaucratic finger pointing and... Uh, this has been one of those issues, but as you rightly point out, when it actually starts to affect us as a species, it's when some dollars maybe will start absolutely, to appear. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Fom. 
You're was welcome. incredible. Looking forward to having you back in soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I guess uh, next up, nanoparticles, hey? Yeah, cool. <laughs> All right. Brilliant. Now, last week we caught up with Sean Doherty from Patagonia and Fight for the Bite campaign. You might also know Sean from uh, editor of Tracks magazine. And uh, we spoke with him about plans by Norwegian company Equinor to drill in the Great Australian Bite later this year. There's only 11 days left until the period of public comments ends and the clock is ticking and awareness of the plans are now increasing. As this week's demonstrated, a lot can happen in seven small days. Let's find out what's been going on and what's coming up by welcoming back to Triple R, Sean Doherty. Welcome back, Sean. Yeah, morning, guys. Great to have you back on. Now, last week when we spoke with you, we talked about this issue that we described as one of the great environmental sleepers. It looks like from last week's paddle outs and increasing media coverage this week, people are starting to wake up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this time last week I was getting ready to go to the Torquay paddle out um, I wasn't exactly sure kind of what, what kind of response we were going to get. Um, we got down there an hour early and I started looking around and going, well, if people keep filing in at this rate for the next hour, this thing is going to be huge. And it turned out it was just massive. Um, I don't know what it like. We, we kind of thought maybe 3,000 people, um, which in a town like Torquay, that, that's a big slice of the, of the town. Um, and it was all, all walks of life, like lots of kids, Mums and dads, like a lot of uh, like elderly crew, surf crew, uh, the clubbies were there. Everyone was there. Uh, it was it was huge. What was the vibe like being there? It must have been phenomenal. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, of course, Dam- uh, Damien Cole kind of got up and and kind of ran people through the issue and 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 kind of got pretty worked up. He's he's really taken this on. Um, but it was it was the vibe amongst everyone was amazing. The paddle out obviously. Was, was huge, was the cosy corner there, so everyone could do it, it was dead flat, so everyone paddled out, and I'm sure you've seen the photos, they've gone, they went global. Yeah, the, um, the photo I saw of um, Damien uh, doing the one finger salute, I think is going to become one of those iconic <laughs> images. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't think he's real popular in Norway at the moment. Um, do you know how the other paddle outs went, Sean? Because when you were on last week, we were giving a plug to uh, paddle outs that were really nationwide. They were sort of going from um, from Perth all the way around to the mid-north New South Wales coast. How did the rest of them go? Yeah, really good. The, uh, I know the Victor Harbour one down uh, down there in South Australia was huge. I, I know they were over a 1,000. Um, the North Coast ones were really well represented. But I think it's more what it's actually spawned now is that you're seeing a whole run of them. Um, that are just that are, people want to put them put them together. Like you guys have got one there in Melbourne uh, next weekend. The one there's one up on the Gold Coast that potentially is going to be massive. Which and you would think about the Gold Coast isn't even in the spill the worst case spill mapping. Um, and that's that's solidarity. That's that crew wanting to get behind the surf crew down here. Which has been the the real heartening thing with all of this is the solidarity of the, the surf community. That's right. And it's extending beyond the surf community as well. Kate? Yeah, no, Sean, I heard you last week. I wasn't in the studio, but I was listening to you while I was away. And you were talking about getting people to actually submit um, because it's open for public submissions. And I went and had a look at the report, and you were right. It'd be a great doorstop, that one. But I was wondering, <laughs> could you sort of direct people to areas of the report that you think would sort of be beneficial for them to read and the easiest bits for them to submit and have the most impact on? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like, it's designed, it's like, it's completely indigestible. It's 1,500 pages of, of, of pretty hard-packed science um, and it speaks directly to the to the, the plan of putting a rig out there. So it's, it's really dense science, really hard to get your head around. 
There's 500 pages of smiling Norwegians in it as well. Um, <laughs> I did so, notice that. <laughs> just, just to sugarcoat it. Um, but a lot of it you're not supposed to understand. It's like you really, you probably need to have a history in oil and gas or like a really solid science base to get a lot of it. And it's designed that way. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's going to the industry regulator. But what, what's been really encouraging with this process is that it's really easy for people to sign a petition these days just to click and go like, and that's their engagement with the issue done, and they feel like they've supported it. But the reality is it's just a click. Um, this is actually, the, by people getting in there, actually opening up this, <clears throat> this environment plan and at least having a cursory look at it and trying to understand it, they're kind of in the process becoming more engaged with the issue and understanding <clears throat> and kind of getting a, a better education around how it works and, and the risks involved. And I reckon the worst thing that, that like Equinor and probably even Nopsema themselves wanted was a gigantic public response on this. But the, the process isn't supposed to be that public. Um, it's between the, <clears throat> the crew putting the plan together, the oil company and the regulator. But the fact that a lot of people have taken the time to go and do this is hugely encouraging. Um, and and what and basically, yeah, there's three parts of the form at the front that speak directly to the plan that you have to respond to items in the plan. You don't have to fill them out if you don't want to. Um, but there is a final comment at the, right at the end where it goes, are there any other comments? Where you've kind of got a bit more freedom to to kind of open up and, and put your view um, based around kind of what you see and what you think um, about the proposal. So it's a little open-ended and even if you just do that and submit that, it's something and you've played a part in the process. The other big breaking development this week, Sean, was the exposure of Federal Resources Minister Matt Canavan who needed to be corrected on a few stated figures. <laughs> Can you talk oh. our listeners through this one? Oh, he cooped it big time. <laughs> it's like, no one, no one has gone near. Like politically, no, it's poisoned this whole issue for both both sides of, of federal politics. No one has wanted to go near it, and we saw why why during the week. Because the resources minister, the guy who's responsible for for green lighting this thing, who will be responsible at the moment. Um, it's got a long way to play out. Obviously, he may not be there. There's a very a very good chance he won't be, but he waded into it and just started pulling numbers out of the air. Of course, it was on Triple J Hack, um, so it's a, a national, on, on national youth broadcaster. So it's a big interview. Um, and he, they, you know, they said the comparisons with the Deepwater Horizon, what they asked him about it. He goes, well, the Deepwater Horizon in Mexico, it was, it was 10 kilometres deep, and the Equinor proposal is two. And that's bullshit. It's like, it was so, and oh, it, did so, people it, call it was, him out? <laughs> they did. He got called out and majorly fact-checked on it and then had a, his press secretary had a, a grovelling uh, retreat the following day just trying to uh, muddy the waters. But it was like, for the, for the guy, this guy should know that proposal better than Equinor does. And he had no idea about it. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a, a nice moment in the campaign. Hey, um, Sean, we'll have to move on in a sec. I just wanted to ask you what's coming up in the week ahead because we'll catch up with you next week as well, if that's okay, just to really keep yep. our finger on the pulse of this. What's coming up in the week ahead? Uh, well, we're kind of planning a whole series of paddle outs. I know the Surfrider Foundation have jumped in here. They're, they'll probably announce during the week a whole running series of paddle outs around the country. Um, heading towards the end of this NOPSEMA period, but also heading in towards the federal election. 
um, which will really put this issue on the map um, as an issue federally. Um, and I don't know, personally, I'm going down the bike for the week. Excellent. Um, there's a huge paddle out happening next uh, Sunday. It's in the afternoon. Um, Jonathan has sent us a, a message through via Triple R. And Jonathan, I will get back to you and hopefully get you on in next week to give that one a big plug. It's on from 2 till 4 uh, next Sunday in St Kilda. So we'll bring you some more details of that shortly. But pop that one in your calendars. And, uh, and next week's paddle out is going to be massive. And you mentioned there's one on the Gold Coast being planned as well, Sean. Yeah, it's also on Sunday the 17th as well and that's shaping up to be to be enormous at, at Burley Heads. Excellent well we'll get those details uh, for our Gold Coast listeners because we know we have listeners everywhere and get those on our, our Facebook page as well. Um, just before I let you go Sean a message that's come through uh, to thank you in particular uh, from the surf community this came through from Sarge and I know you know Sarge um, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah look thanks from us too for really kind of bringing this to our attention and getting this one moving. Um, I saw a, a report on the, on the uh, ABC news during the week so it's really starting to pick up and and hopefully in the next week it, it will kind of then uh, catapult to the next level. Hopefully we'll see you on the project or um or or <laughs> similar program shortly. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's starting to get there. You know, it's, it's starting to get some national attention, and it should. It's a huge issue. Like you know, we and politicians just they don't want to touch it. So then the only way we're going to bring it into the into the light is to have a chat about it. And um, thank you guys for your support. You guys have been great. Awesome. Well, we look forward to catching up with you next week. All the best, guys. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers, Sean. Sean. See you later. See Sean Doherty there talking about Fight for the Bite campaign and uh, we will catch up with uh, Sean again next week. I look forward to getting out there next Sunday. Brilliant. Our next guest is going to be encouraging people to go out and do next weekend for the third Melbourne Sea Slug Census. So to tell us more about it, we have Nicole Mertens in the... Dr Nicole Mertens in the studio, one half of ReefWatch at the Victorian National Parks Association. And the weird thing is I'm actually the other half. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here interviewing her. Thank you for coming in today, Nicole, on the long weekend. And with the third sea slug census underway, you ran the last one, the second one. Uh, what have you learnt about sea slug census since you've started doing this? Um, Apart I, from being grateful that you don't has, have a lisp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I struggle with, <laughs> with the name of the thing. Um, but what I've learnt, um, I think I'm just blown away by how many people are really into nudibranchs. <laughs> it's great. I love a nudibranch. Who doesn't love a nudibranch? Even people that don't dive or snorkel. I remember I came in here during Radiothon and I was talking about the sea slug census and one of the phone room volunteers pulled out a card that they'd got from like a packet of wheat bix or something when they were a kid that had a picture of a nudibranch oh. on it and shared it with me. Cool. So I've always wanted to find this thing. Unfortunately, it's found tropics, but she was just had always had this fascination with the fact that slugs can be so colourful and so cool. That's right, because the slugs in the gardens are tend to be, you know, they're pretty much they're brown and slimy and that's about all, and they tend to eat veggies that we plant and so we don't associate them with being you know having positive imagery but that's that's what's so beautiful about nudibranchs yeah. not saying that that slugs aren't beautiful too but you know there's something pretty special and something special about seeing one underwater as well yeah 
I mean, I, th- I think the name is almost an injustice. Un- unfortunately, no offence to r- to real slugs, um, but <laughs> but yeah, it is true when you when you do find one, especially because some of them are so small. So it's it's kind of like it's its own reward if you find one because you you have gone out there and you've looked really hard and you've been really patient and, and that's the payoff. And when you say so small, how small are you talking about some of these? Uh, so the last time I went out for a good look, I we were finding ones that were maybe half the size of my pinky fingernail and I have pretty small fingers. Wow, yeah. And you're just finding them in rock pools or you're diving, snorkelling? Um, so I that that one we found we were just um, jumping around on the rocks down in Torquay with my mum. She was pretty excited to find that too. So you mentioned, so this is the third sea slug census and there have been two other ones. What have we found so far? Are there sort of patterns that are starting to emerge about where they are, their distributions, different species in different places, that sort of thing? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty early days. We're kind of just trying to, I guess, grab a baseline at the moment. Um, but we are seeing a few patterns. We know there's a few species that we only tend to see in certain locations. So we're interested to know whether that's a real pattern or whether it's just because that's where people are going. We know that Blair Gary is a really popular dive spot, so there's a few species that we've only ever seen there. Um, but if they do start popping up in other places, that'll be interesting. And it's pretty easy for people to get on board, really, isn't it? Like, you don't have to be a diver, you don't have to be in the water. Um, the event's planned for the 15th to the 18th of the March, and 18th of March, and I think part of that is that the low tides are in the middle of the day, is yeah, that it's it? fantastic. So that, yeah. so that people can go out and just search through rock pools. And now there's a couple of hot spots, um, I guess, around the bay and around the coast. Do you know a couple of them or have you visited a couple of them? And where would you suggest if people really want to try and find one, a couple of spots for them to look? Yeah, and I, I guess if you are a beginner, if you are just wanting to, to jump around the rocks, um, somewhere like Point Lonsdale would be great, um, especially because the, yeah, the low tide's going to be bang on the middle of the day there. Um, the other one that I've heard rumours about is San Remo, which apparently has over 100 okay. species of nudibranch just down the rocky platform 100 there. species? Yeah, 135 or something like that. So it's, wow. it's really impressive down there. So oh. It actually was, um, was part of the reason why that area is now protected. I've wondered um, some time ago, a few years ago, many years ago, (laughs) uh, went for a little shore dive off Eden and uh, it was just off where the marina is and I have never seen so many nudibranchs and so many different species in my life and I'm wondering if there is something in there about marinas, There's whether maybe it's just that people tend to not dive there and so the potential for the, the nudies to thrive is bigger or... I mean, we're only talking, you know, N equals 2 as far as <laughs> marinas and, and patterns go. But, if, yeah, I found it fascinating. And San Remo just seems to be an unlikely place because the, the current that rips through underneath that bridge heading over to Phillip Island is massive. But they seem to do well there, obviously. Yeah, so I guess that's the thing. We know there's at least 400 species of nudibranch and related sea slugs um, in Victoria. Um, and they're all a little bit different. It's quite a diverse group of animals. Um, so it probably really depends on the species. But we do know that, yeah, certainly around those artificial structures we're seeing a lot. Mm. Now, one of the things I forgot to mention when we introduced Nicole is not only is she an awesome scientist, she's an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully ah. we're going to be able to share this bron on our page. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because people aren't going to be seeing it. It's basically a lineup of slugs. So it's to help people um, learn a few of the different species and also know what they're looking for. But how do people get involved? Where do they find information? Um, and hey, when can they get started? 
Yeah. So um, if you want more information, including uh, the address to send your photos to, um, you can jump on our website, um, which I guess we'll upload as well. We'll add that to yeah. yeah, it's pretty easy um, to find. It's just vnpa.org.au slash c hyphen slugs. But, yeah. yeah, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. And I love uh, what you've done here, Nicole. Victoria's Most Wanted and there's four four sea slugs in the lineup there that you're after. And I noticed Glaucus is one of them. I saw, saw some photos of Glaucus just in Facebook during the week. So I should say as a qualifier, a lot of this is more of an artistic choice because they were nice <laughs> colours. Um, but I would, I would love if, if someone does find a glow because they do occasionally make their way into the bay. That would be a really cool find for us down here. So that would be great. I've only ever seen them in New South Wales and Queensland. I've never seen one in Victoria. Do, do we get them I've down here? I've heard them sort of Malakuta kind of oh, way, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, there's nothing from stopping them uh, coming down this way. We should see. We get the blue bottles, which they feed mm. upon. So who knows? Yeah. yeah. Nicole, thank you for coming in and hopefully lots of people send in their amazing images of sea slugs. And are there some prizes this year? There will be, yes. Yes, so if people take their photos, they can send them in and they're in the running. Stay tuned. Thank you. Awesome. 9.51 and this is Radio Marinara. We're going to hear a couple of station announcements and then we're going to be joined in studio by Elodie Compras. I think I got her surname correctly. Yes, I asked her when she was in the green room. Brilliant. (laughs) To uh, talk about... The Day by the Bay Festival coming up on the 23rd of March. We've been striking on and off since the 1st of November. School Strike for Climate is a global initiative calling on school kids around the world to strike for immediate action on climate change. The Melbourne School Strike is running from 12pm to 2pm on Friday, March 15, at the Treasury Building on Spring Street. Triple R and community radio across Melbourne, including 3CR, SIN and JOY 94.9, stand in support of the school strike and the message it sends to our politicians and leaders. For more information, head to schoolstrikeforclimate.com. Parents and adults are welcome to join the protest in support and solidarity. A Triple R community service announcement. This April, Triple R presents the inaugural Bendigo Autumn Music Festival. The historic arts precinct of Bendigo will open up its arms to four magical days of music with over 80 acts and 200 performances, including Kurt Vile, Cash Savage, Tiny Ruins, Laura Jean, Mojo Juju, Tex Perkins and the Fat Rubber Band, No Mono, RVG, Vicar and Linda Bull, Jess Ribeiro and more. Bendigo Autumn Music, Thursday the 25th to Sunday the 28th of April. Tickets on sale now at bendigoautumnmusic.com. BAM sponsors Triple R. It's quite fitting that we had Mojo Juju singing then because she's going to be present at the Day by the Bay Festival. And to tell us more about it, we have Dr. Alady Kampras. Uh, Alady is one very busy person. After completing her PhD at Deakin, focusing on understanding the individual specialisations in seabirds, she's gone on to working as a casual academic at Deakin University, looking after native wild, sorry, comma, looking after native wildlife as an emergency response operator at Wildlife Victoria. She also teaches dive courses, showing off the beauty of Port, Bill- Port Phillip Bay's spectacular underwater life, and is a regional coordinator for Pine of Science. And if that's not enough, she's also organising the Day by the Bay Festival for Port Phillip Bay. Welcome to the studio, Elodie. Do you sleep at all, Elodie? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I've already lined up another time for you to come in and talk about your PhD subject. I have, I've known Elodie for a couple of years now and it was only doing a bit of research. I'm like, my God, she does so much. <laughs> I don't know where she finds time to even talk to me. But I actually, can I just ask a quick question that's not Day by the Bay? Absolutely. Can you very quickly tell me what is specialisations in individual birds? What 
does that phrase actually mean or what is it that you looked at? Just so it's looking at um, habits in seabirds in this uh, case. So they sometimes tend to dive to the same places, in the same places, and um, catch the same prey. So in that instance, they call specialised. So is that like people that live in Brunswick don't go south of the river and vice versa type thing? That as well. And if you keep going to the same supermarket, you'd be specialised as well. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to ask you that while I had a chance. Yeah, now, let's go straight to Day by the Day. Uh, day by the Day, Day by the Bay Festival. And this is picking up from the one that happened in Mornington a couple of weeks ago? Absolutely. So we had um, our first festival on the 23rd of February in Mornington and that went really well. We had, um, I think, a very good community vibe. There were a lot of um, storeholders that were for, um, you know, from different community groups and not-for-profit that work um, around the Bay and try to ensure that the Bay has a healthy future. Uh, we also had amazing artists, food trucks and uh, market stalls. So, yeah, I think that was a very fun day altogether. So people that hear about this, they turn up on the day. What are they going to be doing when they get there? Yep, so there's heaps of activities um, and knowledge to be gained from the storeholders. So we very much want to be a platform for all the organisations that do amazing work around the Bay. Um, we want people to realise how amazing uh, and biodiverse and worth protecting Port Philly Bay is because unfortunately um, a lot of people living around the Bay um, have no idea how beautiful it is and how diverse it is. So, yeah, we want to bring that knowledge to people, again, to ensure that the bear has a healthy future. And I guess, as you were saying, speaking about how beautiful the place is, you're having this festival at Point Cook, which is one of those things I think people see the turn-off when they're driving along the Westgate, but unless they live out that way, they don't necessarily go there. Whereabouts is the festival at Point Cook? So it's at the Point Cook Coastal Park, and you're entirely right. Unfortunately, it's a part of the bay that doesn't get much love, um, but it, it's, it's a beautiful place. And we're really lucky to be able to have it at the Point Cook Coastal Park because it's right by the by the bay, by the beach. Um, and yeah, it's a beautiful setting, natural setting for this festival to happen. It's interesting. A long uh, long time ago, I used to sample water around Port Phillip Bay, and there were beaches like at Point Cook and also um, at Werribee and Altona. And I remember being there, thinking, "Why don't people know about this? This is amazing. These are the most beautiful beaches." I think because it's it's one of those things we're so conditioned, uh, maybe with the history of the bay too. There's so much that's geared towards the eastern side rather than the western side and there's this sort of there's a beautiful almost untapped part to the bay that people are starting to suddenly start being aware of. Yeah absolutely and that's also why it was important for us to um, have the festival on both sides of the bay so people wouldn't miss out. Yeah. I'm just curious what was some of the feedback from the first festival? Uh, we, yeah, were yeah, people we, excited about it? Did they learn a lot? Yeah definitely so um, it was great for us to get very um, encouraging feedbacks from storeholders and um, from festival goers. So um, I think people learned a lot and, you know, different stalls resonated with different people. Um, but it was, you know, some people really enjoy some of the stalls. We had 
an amazing uh, digital uh, photography exhibition that was put together by Pink Tanks Cuba. And people seem to really enjoy that and see how colorful creatures of the bay are. And um, there were people watching it till the very last minute as we were um, packing down. So that was very successful. We had uh, street performers from the Connies handed out um, collecting uh, cards and talking about uh, you know the amazing wildlife that we have um, in this part of the world so that was also very positive um, yeah and so I've got a few of the artists <coughs> excuse me a few of the artists that will be playing there so as I said before Mojo Juju's sort of headlining it but we've also got the Orb Weavers, Hex Debt, Wade Dynamic, Jess Ribeiro and Leah Senior playing there as well oh. so they're it's an awesome lineup and it's for free Leah Senior, uh, Mega Herd Extraordinaire. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, amazing lineup. Yeah. Great artists. But you also have a lineup of presenters as well. So you have people actually sharing some of their passion and knowledge about Port Phillip Bay. That's so, right. Can you tell us just a couple of those that you have? Yeah. So um, we've got people from uh, Wing Threads, from uh, Marine Mammal Foundation, uh, from. Um, DRI as well. So, yeah, we've got people working all around the bay. And Nicole, who was just on previously as well. Yeah, yeah DRI yeah. being the Dolphin Research Institute. Yeah, fantastic lineup. We will put a link to that on our Facebook page, Elodie. And uh, listeners, anyone can go and check that one out and see what's coming up next weekend. Yeah, thank you for coming in today. And as Bron said, we're going to have to get you back in to talk about the plethora of other things that you do. Yeah. It'd be my pleasure. A really quick plug I wanted to mention before we close out mentioned the fight for the bite paddle out in Melbourne next weekend, Sunday 17th of March from 2 till 4, so it's in the afternoon. Meet at the northern end of Katani Gardens at 2pm in St Kilda for speeches before we walk over to nearby St Kilda West Beach to paddle out. So massive one next Sunday 17th of March. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.